Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Autism, the podcast brought to you by two autism mums and lifelong friends. I'm Michelle Davey and this is my co-host. I am Christelle. That's Christelle. Christelle. And that's Michelle. (laughs) (laughs) Sounding and looking amazing there, Christelle, today. Oh, get out, Michelle. Big fancy new microphone. Yes, I've got my new mic getting the sound in check. Loving it. Absolutely Hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> How's your week gone then, Christelle? I'm loving the weather. The weather is awesome. Makes a difference to the mood, doesn't it, really? It, it does. It brings up the mood. And also, I keep saying it every week, lockdown is easing, is easing up. Yep. So, going out for more walks. I set my son back today. <laughs> oh, and how did that um, go? Yeah, what, your eldest actually, son, isn't it? Yeah, so we sent him back, and he was really excited. He couldn't sleep the night before. He woke up super duper early. Um, when we started walking to the school, he started going, <sighs> controlling his breathing. I said to him, "Are you nervous?" And he said, "Yes, mom, I am nervous." And I was like, oh, no, don't worry. Um, you'll be fine. And I said, you, you're going to have fun. You're going to see your friends. And how, how did middle son, because obviously that would be a change of routine, wouldn't it? Uh, your middle son is autistic. Mm-hmm. How did he cope today without his big brother being around? Because obviously they've been with each other for this whole time in lockdown. Did you notice anything? <laughs> he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't have a clue. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't care. He just, he just seems to be happy. Um, I think with my middle son, routine doesn't seem to be so important to him to be honest with you like we can break routine and he he won't have a tantrum or anything like that so he didn't notice but the youngest one he was awake and um this morning when i was taking him to school and he said he was like where are you going <laughs> and oh. when he said i'm going to school he's like oh and i was oh. like what is it like a hundred days now? I think it's about a hundred days they haven't over a hundred days, Christelle. Yeah, yeah, that they haven't been to school. So, and I was thinking, imagine a hundred days of being with your siblings. Oh, you know, and the house was much quieter. Yeah, I bet <laughs> it was lovely. Oh. <laughs> so today, Christelle, we're talking about autism siblings. So we're not actually speaking to a parent of an autistic child today. We're right. speaking to the sibling. <laughs> yeah so ian dayborn who i work with at cambridge 105 radio he is coming on to talk to us about his sister who is autistic or well, asperger's so he really wanted to share his story with us so i'm really really interested to hear what ian's got to say um i'm really excited to hear what he has to say right well we're getting him on then come on ian <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Ian. Good. Hello. Hello. Hi. Lovely to lovely to meet you, Michelle. And you, Crystal, as well. <laughs> Hi, well, Ian. Hi. Let's, let's not lie, Ian. Me and you do know each other from the radio stuff, from Cambridge 105. But obviously, you're meeting Christelle here, and we are ready to speak autism. Now, Ian, we're coming from a slightly different angle this week. We have, in the past, spoke to autism parents, but you're not actually an autism parent, are you? No, I'm not. So I have a sister who has uh, Asperger's called Claire. And uh, I came to your podcast because, as you say, I knew you through the radio. And I just happened to notice that uh, you posted up about the fact you do a podcast. And I was curious about that. So I had a look and I had a listen to you and Christelle a couple of weeks ago. And when I listened to it, I thought, hey, they're talking about autism, Asperger's, all of that stuff. And uh, so that was that prompted us to sort of message one another, didn't it? And uh, I told you about my sister, Claire. 
Yeah, yeah, and I'm so pleased that you got in touch, Ian, with us and we're talking about this because what was your family situation growing up? So, is Claire your older or younger sibling? And is there uh, any other siblings? Yeah, yeah, we're so there are three of us. Um, I'm the eldest, and my brother uh, Alan's a couple of years younger than me. Uh, I'm in my 50s and my sister Claire, well, she's 10 years younger. So my dad always wanted a daughter. So when Claire came along, I was 10. We were all really excited. It was great to have a little sister and she was great. But as she started to go to nursery and school and things like that, my mum sort of noticed that she was quite late with her development. This was back, uh, I mean, Claire is 46 now. So this was a long time ago. And this was when things yeah. like Asperger's and autism they were around but they weren't quite so wi widely diagnosed and over a period of time you know it was my mum being a mum who just felt things weren't quite as they should be when Claire got to school my mum was a dinner lady noticed Claire didn't have a lot of friends at school and was a bit of a loner and in fact um, we went to see lots of uh, clinics and psychologists and psychiatrists and it wasn't until Claire was I think 18 years old so quite oh, wow. a long time into all of this that uh, you know after all these problems, she went to the Maudsley uh, in London and was diagnosed at Maudsley as having Asperger's at age 18, wow. which was quite late, but then this was still quite a number of years ago. And she, being a girl, uh, a little bit unusual. So with Claire at 18, like how, what was your relationship with her like as she was growing up because obviously when she was 18 you was 28 are you close or were yes, you we, close yeah we were and we we still are I mean Claire now lives independently she lives down in in North London she's lived in fact she's just celebrated 20 years in her flat she's never had a full-time job she lives on benefits she's had some relationships with guys over the years she's very ferociously independent but she's always a worry because she is vulnerable and there have been occasions when you know, she's been taken advantage of and you know that's mm. kind of difficult for you know, my mum who's now in her 80s to to deal with because you know mums never stop worrying about their kids do they but yeah she she's doing okay I mean in many respects she's you know completely like you or I if you met Claire if she came in the room now and you spoke to her you probably wouldn't initially notice uh, too much different about her but there are there are some certain tendencies with her uh, she's quite obsessive um, she likes routines and she can get very, very, very distressed when her routines are broken and can, even in, you know, in a public group, she can behave even as a 46-year-old in a way that would probably be considered by a lot of people inappropriate. You know, she can you know, swear at people and, and that kind of thing. Although I have to say, as she's got older, she's got, she's got better and she's had quite a lot of counselling and therapy and that has helped her. She's aware that she has Asperger's and uh, she's... She's been well supported over the years by people like the NAS and, you know, she, she's doing okay, but she's someone who will never be quite the same as, as, as you or I because, because of her condition. So yeah. you said growing up, your mum knew there was something in terms of development, but she didn't get diagnosed until she was 18. So how was that at home? Did they explain to the family that we think she's got autism and how did the family deal with that? So for a long time, as Claire sort of got into her teenage years and schooling that was when it became more of a problem because she was bullied at school and back when she was uh, when she was in school in the sort of early 1980s schools weren't so good at maybe spotting bullying and there are things that my mum still feels very 
very bad about that we discovered, you know, as she got into adulthood and, and went to counselling and therapy and spoke about things that happened to her with, you know, other girls at school in her class um, that we didn't know about. You know, we, we weren't aware that these things were happening. She didn't say so. So that was, uh, you know, that still makes, uh, I think my mum in particular feels sort of very guilty. I think it was through just at the school, a number of teachers said, look, you know, we think that they're, that Claire has got some behaviours that you know, indicate that she has some kind of condition, but it took quite a long time. She went and saw uh, general counsellors and and therapists and people locally to where we lived in North London. And I can't remember who it was, but it was somebody who she saw, I think it was a social worker who had dealt with youngsters with uh, autism and Asperger's who said, you know, this is what I think she may have. And so we then managed to get a referral to the Maudsley, where even back then they did have some specialists in that area. And uh, in fact, I remember going with, I went with my mum when Claire was 18 to the Maudsley, you know, when she went through a series of tests and things. And that, that was when she was uh, when she was diagnosed with the condition but up until that point a lot of particularly when she up until she was 18 a lot of it was just put down to well you know she's a bit odd or a bit strange or or a bit different I mean to us as a family she she was you know she was normal but it was clear that she was having some problems and really that getting that diagnosis was helpful I think now generally speaking it would be unusual to get to age 18 and, and not have it picked up probably at school uh, and not be diagnosed and, and get a bit of help earlier. Yeah, you're right, Ian. And, you know, it must have been really hard not having that diagnosis. You know, and I think a lot more awareness. And that's why now, even in the 90s, when we was at school, Christelle and I was saying that there's some children that were, were clearly were autistic that we were at school with. But even even then, it wasn't really something that was highlighted much and spoke about. And I imagine, so that was sort of 70s and 80s, that would have been really, you know, quite a sort of tricky era where everything was just coming to light. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think things have got much better in terms of diagnosis and then support. I think the one thing I would say, though, something that a lot of things, you know, when you've you've lived with someone who's had the condition for you know for all these years uh looking back things you learn things that maybe didn't occur to you at the time and one thing that i would say is that claire as she got into her sort of 20s and 30s did get quite a lot of support social services Uh, one of the things actually that did happen with her was she was initially diagnosed as having a, a learning disability and rather than a mental health issue and that that really did for a number of years until we got that category categorization change that really landed her in not quite the right place with not quite the right support once it was identified as a mental health issue she then did get joined into a lot of therapy groups and by the time she was in her 30s there were lots of uh, organizations supporting people with autism and asperger's and things were were much better but in the last five or six years claire has actually you know now she's in her 40s she's moved away from groups she's still she's still in contact with a lot of other people a lot of her friends a lot of her peer group have mental health issues um she's actually done better away from a lot of therapy I, I think the therapy was important and was needed and played a part in her journey through all of this when she was younger but I think for Claire and it's not the same for everybody but for Claire actually there's come a point where the therapy has done as much as it can do and it's just been better for her to get on by herself and be yeah. independent and she's you know she's actually doing okay with sort of quite light touch if I can put it like that support now sorry I want to know from you how was it being the sibling 
of uh, a child that is autistic. We want to see how it is from your point of view, looking at the world and looking at your sister, whether you understood what was happening, whether you thought she had special treatment, etc. I think when she was young, when me and my brother were, when she first started to appear to have sort of unusual behaviour, I mean, it wasn't that unusual, but things like speaking came quite late to her and potty training was, a, you know, it was a challenge and, and that sort of thing. And then she just had some unusual behaviours, like when she was little, she used to sit and she used to rock, we used to sit in front of the telly and, and she used to do this rocking thing. And as kids, we just thought, we just thought that was quite funny and a bit eccentric and we didn't take the mickey out of her. It was just the sort of thing that was you know, we, we would have a laugh and a joke about it. looking back on it. You know, we now know that some of those things are behaviours that are quite common in people with those yeah, conditions. Stimming. Yeah. yeah, I think then as we were growing up, I think, to be honest with you, as two young lads, my brother and I, looking back, I know my parents were concerned and were going to see professionals with her and things like that. We were a bit oblivious to it, if I'm honest with you, Christelle. You know, I think our life just kind of carried on. And maybe that was a good thing. I don't know that, you know, for, for, from our perspective as kids, you know, it wasn't really a big deal. You know, as we've got older, my, my our dad died when, when Claire was quite young. He, he died quite suddenly when she was about 19. And then I, as a as the sort of elder brothers had to step in and support my mum in things like um, care plan when they used to make care plans with social services and, and the NHS and people like that used to have to go along and help mum with that kind of thing so I suppose I don't know if that answers your question but as a youngster growing up with her I don't think it did make too much difference we didn't feel she was receiving more attention than us or anything like that you know I think we just felt happy you know we had a happy upbringing as I've got older particularly with my dad not being around I feel a sense of sort of responsibility and you know even now sometimes if Claire has a blow up about something you know she'll ring me and occasionally not often these days but occasionally you know I'll pick the phone up and she'll be absolutely going nuts on the other end of the phone and, and I'm think, and then I've got to try and calm the situation down uh, yeah. so that's kind of how the, the relationship works do you go down and see her quite a lot because you said she was in london you said before because your your mum's in her 80s i mean that's got to be a worry for your mum is it because she obviously still wants to really care for her daughter when i think your mum's the same age as my granddad and yes. that really especially in lockdown you know <laughs> it, that's really worried me about his vulnerability so in terms of your mum looking after claire has has that affected them as she's got older it, it has yeah i mean there have been some challenges i mean yes I, I see her quite often i saw her obviously with the lockdown that's been a difficult period although interestingly enough claire has coped pretty well with all of that the the whole lockdown yeah. thing hasn't caused her too many problems thank I goodness i've spoke to quite a lot of autism parents and they've said like oh their child loves it i mean we had a couple of weeks ago we had uh rachel and didn't we crystal and she said that her son it was like the best birthday party he'd had because i know uh, <laughs> socializing is quite an anxious anxious thing to yeah. quite a lot of autism and I, I think that's what my son's like he's like this is great i've been forced to speak to people and go into areas that i don't want to be going to and shops that i don't want to be going to <laughs> I think that's absolutely right. And I think uh, although Claire's quite sociable and does, she, she belongs to, she, she likes singing and music. So, and she, so she plays, she's in choirs and things like that. Um, but yeah, we, I do see her. We get together as a family quite often with my mum and my brother, my, my wife and the sort of extended family. We had a, a socially distanced picnic in, uh, uh, in Welling Garden, in a park near Welling Garden City, which is sort of halfway between where I live in North London the other week. And that was nice. I talked to her on the phone quite a lot. Uh, mum does see her but one of the areas of my sister's obsessions is around the fact she's an adult she likes to be independent mum wants to 
try and do lots of things for her and my sister doesn't like that so they get along fine but Claire won't go to my mum's house that's one of her things we can't completely understand why we just accept that because if we suggested that she did go to mum's house then she would get very very distressed and that would that would immediately fire all of her anxieties so it's better that we meet either at her place or our place or or somewhere else when she gets anxious one of the things she will do she will often pick up on something you've said if it worries her and then she will get you to repeat repeat what you've said and she'll keep on asking you to repeat it over and over again yeah my son my son actually does that yeah yeah and 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 she can get quite agitated and and she might even you know this is where sometimes it can get quite difficult so she would ring one of my mum's neighbors who she doesn't know very well and ask her uh, about it or someone you know who she's maybe met once and things like that so that's you know if people don't know um that uh, why she's doing that they might that might strike them as odd it doesn't happen that often but it it still even now can can happen if something bothers bothers her um i wanted to ask when around what age um did claire start feeling like she was independent enough to branch out on her own and how did that make you feel as her brother and um how did the rest of the family feel Um, That's a good question, Christelle. I mean, she first sort of became independent. She moved out from the family home when she was quite young, actually. She was about 20, 21, and she met a guy and she was in a relationship with him for quite some time and she moved in with him. My parents weren't overly happy about that, but it was around the time that my father had retired so they were anxious about that but obviously she was an adult so they had to respect her wishes as her siblings i think my brother and i were a bit more chilled about it to be honest with you this this guy who she she didn't stay with long term but you know he was he wasn't a bad guy the relationship just kind of came to an end and i, I think we thought that he was quite a responsible person who would sort of take care of her and you know while the relationship was good he did so you know that that was her first step into living independently and proving that she could do that and i think my mum and dad was didn't think she could because mums and dads again sometimes you know it's that oh being overprotective thing with your your middle ones do you see them moving away from the family home at any stage or is that something that you 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 couldn't contemplate based on what you see now it's really funny actually we had this conversation the other day and my son really shot me was like i'm going to live in near tower bridge randomly (laughs) (laughs) go back to london nice Uh, part of town (laughs) Uh, and we kind of had that but i i can't actually i know christelle and i had this conversation the other week and yeah it's strange the way your brain works my husband and I are like what we could do at the back garden is we could build like an annex type thing and that's where he could live and you have all of these you know these thoughts and it's mad because he's six years old so to be thinking of what he's going to be doing at that stage of his life is insane but I just think it's I mean you worry about all of your children but especially you know as they're vulnerable you do and I think kind of the opposite I I feel like he will branch off because he's quite independent and you know willing to learn and I believe with the support that he's going to be receiving I think further down the line it is definitely possible well, I hope he does great yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope they all do but... yeah. <laughs> so Ian when you were growing up I mean a lot of autism parents we have quite a lot of judgments from general public or perhaps other family members what was did you have any of that can you remember your mum and dad facing anything like that with Claire because going back obviously this is around sort of 40 years ago 
Yes. It's strange. You would think there were certainly things because it was that long ago and it was less, I won't say it was less common, but it certainly wasn't diagnosed as, as quickly and as well as it is now that you might think people might be uh, in the family or friends or whatever might not be very understanding. But I would say generally, actually, I think people were, you know, were okay about it. They didn't know what you know why Claire was like it and I'm sure they probably thought she was a bit a bit strange but no we didn't really have any sort of massive issues with with the family it was more outside of the family but in the family no things were generally okay yeah oh that's that's really good sounds like you've got really supportive family oh thank you very much and I've enjoyed, <laughs> enjoyed chatting to you uh, both both of you uh, uh, Michelle and Christelle and as I say Indeed. it's nice to to see you both because I was listening to your podcast just a couple of weeks ago and really enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank, thank you, you. Ian so nice talking to you thanks very much Ian for coming to share your story you take care that was so good when it Christelle talking to Ian there yeah lovely guy and yeah everything he said was so interesting and it was just nice to see how life was from a sibling's point of view yeah and also from a different as we were saying before like a different era (laughs) we've said before that when we was at school there's definitely some children that we know that we grew up with that were that were autistic but were never diagnosed so this is taking it back not making Ian feel old here another two decades do you know what I mean that's a really interesting point of view from that time and also as yeah as a autism sibling yeah, and I think even when we was in school, Michelle, I, I never heard of autism. No. You know, I really didn't hear of it. It's just it's when I became a parent and, you know, as a parent, you start hearing about all these different things and autism was one of them. But in school, it's not something that I ever heard about. No, I think, I think we would know. I think me and you knew that there were some children that needed extra help. Or as they, they said, learning difficulties. Yeah, learning difficulties. I think we knew, but we would never have called it autism, I suppose. No. You know, I mean, there were children in our classes that were sat with a one-to-one help, if you think back now. In terms of our own children, though, you know, I think that I really hope, and I've heard other people's stories, a friend of mine who had a really difficult upbringing because his brother was autistic and... I've always been quite conscious of ensuring that my children, my eldest child, and especially when my younger child grows up, is that they have a really good understanding of what autism is and is explained to them. And I think that's what was great with Ian, is that his family seemed so open to talk about it. It seemed they're a very close family that spoke about it. You know, they sort of got by through talking to one another and, yeah... I just got that vibe, did you? Yeah, I, I, do, I do believe it's important to have that strong family support, especially when you're in a circumstance where your child has autism. I think it makes life a, life a lot easier, you know, when you have the backing of your family. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think, yeah, and together, you'll be a lot stronger getting through it because it is a challenging lonely time isn't it especially around diagnosis time and whatever may present as you know as your child gets older yeah and I just um also I think for anyone who is doing it on their own you know it's amazing because you know in my household there's two of us you know and it's still hard so do salute every anyone who's doing it on their own definitely definitely right Christelle well I'm off good chat Mish good chat 
very good chat this week i've enjoyed it next week i think we're gonna have an extra special surprise for everybody stay tuned you can follow us on instagram at let's talk autism podcast you can also follow us on twitter at let's talk autism and we will tell you all about who's going to be on our show next week are you excited christelle i am excited and can't wait for everyone else to be in on the secret Say all this and it go completely tits up anyway and that be that. Oh, here we go. The doors are slamming downstairs. I think that's that's called an end to our uh, chat today, Chris. <laughs> all right, Ming Cho, you have a good week. You too. See you later, Chris. Bye. Bye.